Joseph, so much for doing that. That's a blessing. Well, we're going to be in the book of Mark. The Gospel of Mark. I don't want to be accused of stealing the pastor's pen, so I want to put it back. I want to share something with you tonight that the Lord's really been teaching me lately. Several months ago, I read through the Gospel of Mark and just came to chapter 3, and uh, there's a phrase that hit me on that day, and it's really stuck with me since then, and then... Sunday night, Ross and I were trying to be a blessing to a missionary, Brother Kuzel, who was having a desire for some Mexican food. And so we just really for his, you know, just try to help a, 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 a man of God, we decided to take him. And uh, what we did, he, he brought up this verse again. And he, he, when he brought it up, it was kind of, it was from a different angle, a different perspective, really, but I just want to think about this verse tonight, and hopefully it will challenge all of us and encourage us about the subject of being with Jesus. So, Mark chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 13 through 15. Why don't we stand for the reading of the word? Mark 3... 13, and he, this is talking about Jesus, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Our primary focus is going to be verse 14. He ordained the twelve, and this was the reason he ordained them. First and foremost, that they should be with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it challenges us, how it helps us. And I just pray, God, tonight that it would do just that, that you would instruct us. It's a living word and... And so I just pray, God, that you would take it tonight and just drive it into our minds, into our hearts, and that this Holy Spirit of God would, would, would teach us and help us, Lord, just to, just to gain from this passage whatever it is that you have for each one of us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So Jesus called these 12 men, these 12 disciples, these 12 apostles, and they answered the call. He calleth, he calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Following Jesus begins with a calling. Romans 3.11 says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. But God in his mercy calls us, and we respond to his calling. Now, these apostles, we understand, were a special people. They were called by Jesus himself. They were sent out. That's what the word apostle means. It's sent ones, those who have been sent. Jesus called them and sent them. They were gifted in, in a unique way with sign, with gifts, with, uh, such as casting out devils and healing sicknesses and, and picking up poisonous snakes and not being, you know, being bitten, bitten and, not, and not being harmed by them. 
But there was something that preceded all of these miracles that they were able to do. And that's what I want us to really see tonight. This, this phrase that I, we're really going to just focus on is the second phrase in verse 14. That they should be with him. That was the, the purpose, the initial purpose really of, the, of them calling them. He ordained them that, or we might say in order that, or for the purpose of what? That they would be with him before they could go, before they could preach, before they could heal sicknesses, before they could heal diseases, before they could perform miracles, before they could do all of these things, they first had to be with Jesus. That was their first calling. That was their first responsibility. That was their first priority was just being with him. Everything that we will do or want to do or wish to do for the Lord has to come from an, an outflow of what, what Christ is doing in us. We are with him, and as we're with him and filled with him, then that sort of just pours out of us and spills out of us onto the people that are around us. So often we talk about what we do for the Lord. Somebody may ask you, what are you doing for the Lord? And maybe you've even asked yourself, am I do- what am I doing for the Lord? Am I doing enough for him? I'm not, or you might have said, I- I'm not doing enough for the Lord. I need to do more for the Lord. But, but really, we're asking the wrong question. The better question is, am I, am I with Jesus enough? Am I, am I consumed enough with him that he is flowing out of me? He's pouring out of me. Am I, am I yielded to Jesus enough that I'm allowing him to do what he wants to do through me? We just become vessels. These apostles were not special people. They were just people that Jesus called, said, come to me, and then he sent them out to do all of these things. Turn to John 15, if you would. You'll be familiar with this passage. Jesus, again, is teaching. Now he's teaching these same disciples. The same apostles. John 15, 4, he said, Abide in me. Similar language, right? He, he, he called them that they would be with him. And now he's saying, he's telling them, Abide in me, and I in you. As, a, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it, it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, And I in him, the same, bringeth forth much fruit. Notice the next phrase. For without me, ye can do what? Nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. A branch that's separated from the tree, that's separated from the, the trunk, that's separated from the root is not valuable, right? Um, you, can, you can take a, a beautiful tree that's blossoming and has leaves all over it, and you can, you can cut it off 
and, and you can examine it. And if you examine just the branch and the leaves next to the other ones, they may look exactly the same, right? But one of them is going to bear fruit, and one of them is not going to bear fruit. What's the difference? One is attached to the thing that creates the fruit, and one is detached from it. One of them, he said, is worthy to, to bear fruit, and one of them is worthy to throw on the fire and burn up. It has, it, it has no value, right? So he's teaching his disciples, and again, he's saying, abide in me. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And if you bear much fruit, then my Father will be glorified. But if you don't abide in me, then essentially you're good for nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. No matter how alive that branch may look that's been separated from the tree, it's not alive, it will never produce fruit again. It's done. And no matter how alive we may look, if we're, if we're separated from the source of life, then we're not going to bear fruit. Outside of Christ, we can't do anything. On our own, in our own ability, in our own flesh, in our own working, we can do stuff, but it has no value. It's useless. It's vain. But he produces fruit in us. Even Jesus recognized the need to be with the Father. Turn to Mark again, but this time turn to chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and verse 32. And at even, or evening, when the sun did set... They brought unto him, Jesus, all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. Imagine, it's evening time. We've just gotten off work. You're ready to kick back, enjoy a little bit of me time, relax a little bit, watch some TV. But no, Jesus came home in the evening and they're bringing, they're bringing all of the sick people to him all of the diseased people to him, all of the people that are possessed with devils, they're bringing them all to him. And look in 33, all the city was gathered together at the door. There's no time for rest. It's evening time. You've got this crowd of people surrounding the house, mostly sick people, mostly diseased people. So what does Jesus do? Verse 34, and he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases and cast out many devils. And suffered not the devils to speak or allowed them not to speak because they knew him. And in the morning, look what he did. Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. This wasn't the only time that we see this, but Jesus, in the midst of this busyness, this overwhelming people that are surrounding him, he ministered to people. And then what did he do? He went to be alone with the Father. He left the ministry for a bit to go to, to abide in the Father, to rest in the Father. Jesus needed this time of refreshment, and if he needed it, how much more do you and I need it? This wasn't the only time that we see this. Often after, sometimes before, like before he chose the disciples, he would get alone. He would get alone with the Father and spend time with the Father. He was modeling something that, that all of us need, and that is time alone not just to, to do the things that we want to do, not just to enjoy our hobbies, but time alone with the Father, time alone with him. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 12. 
He, Jesus, would be with the Father. He would learn of the Father. He would speak that which, how many times did Jesus say, all the stuff that I'm saying to you, all the stuff that I'm saying to you is not my words, it's the Father's words. He said that over and over again. Verse 12 here, or John chapter 12, he said the same thing. John 12, 44. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Father. He that seeth me seeth him that sent me. Again, he's, he, so, so what's he doing? He's, he's taking the focus off himself and glorifying the Father. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The one that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. This is what we're to do. We're to, we're to be with the Father, we're to be with the Lord, and then we're to speak his, what he has told us. First um, Peter chapter 4 says, we're to, if any man speak, let him speak as the, of the oracles of God. We're to say what, what God has said, that's what we're to say. How do we do that? How do we know what God has said? Well, we know that by abiding in him, by spending time with him, by being with him, we get to know him. We just sung more about Jesus. Let me learn. How do we learn more about Jesus? How do more of thy holy will discern? How do we discern his will? By being with him. By being with him. The greatest thing you can do in life is to be with Jesus. That's the greatest thing we can do. That's the greatest thing you can do with your time is to be with Jesus. The greatest thing you can do for your family is to be with Jesus. The greatest thing you can do for your kids is to be with Jesus. The greatest thing you can do for your husband or your wife is to be with Jesus. The greatest thing you can do for your future husband or your future wife is to be with Jesus. There's nothing greater we can do with our lives than to just be with him. We, We get caught up and all kinds of things in life that we maybe feel like we're not sufficient in, we're not doing enough of this, or I'm failing in this area. But the truth is, there's nothing more important, nothing that will affect every area of our lives more than just being with him. Jesus ordained these 12 and called them to, first and foremost, to be with him. So what does that look like? We, first of all, have to set aside, like Jesus did, regular intentional time to be with him. Now, let me ask you a question, and you can answer this question. Is God everywhere? It's not a true question. Is God everywhere? He is, right? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. That means he is in all places, all the time. He's everywhere. He's at your dinner table, whatever you ate tonight. He was there with you when you drove your car to church tonight. He was there. He's here with us tonight. When you go to work, he's there. When you go to bed tonight, he'll be there in your room. He is everywhere. God is at all places all the time. He's everywhere. And so you can be with the Lord at any time, right? Because he's everywhere. Technically, Lauren and I... Lauren and I are together. We're in the same place right now, right? We are. But she would probably not consider this to be real quality time that we're spending right now, right? We're not getting to know each other anymore. 
we're not growing. Our relationship isn't really like growing closer together. We're here. We're in the same place. But we're not really together, right? Just because God is everywhere, it does not really mean that we're with him in the sense that Jesus is talking about in Mark chapter 3, in the sense that um, Jesus went away in Mark chapter 1. There's a, there's a difference. Just because we're, we're in the same, just because he is here and we are here does not mean that we are really with him. Jesus had to leave the crowds behind, right? That's what we saw. He left the, he, he, they were everywhere he went to sleep and he woke up long before anybody else was awake and he, got, he intentionally left all of them to go away to a solitude place, to a, to a secluded place where it was just going to be him and the Father and nobody else was going to interrupt him. Not that the interruptions are bad. Those are good things. Those people that he was healing the night before, that's good stuff. He needed to do that. He wanted to do that, but on this day, he needed to get away. That's what time with, whenever Jesus called those disciples, he went up into a mountain and he called them to him. He called them away from all the stuff that they were involved in to him. Away from something to something. That's what being with him is. Jesus recognized the need to be away and we have to do the same. If we really want to be with Jesus, if we want to be with the Lord, we have to be intentional about it. We have to sometimes leave something. We have to go to him. And you don't have to go to a desert place. Maybe it's just going out on your deck late at night or early in the morning before other people are awake. Or maybe it's going out into the field if you have a field or out into the woods if you have woods. Or maybe it's just getting in your car and driving somewhere and leaving the, the radio off and leaving your phone on, you know, so that you're not going to be tempted to, to, to look at it. You're just, you're just going. This is, what Jesus did was he was intentional, and he was calling the disciples to intentionally come to him. And now I, th I think the calling is to us to, to, to be with him, to be with the Lord, to, to go away from these other things and intentionally be with him. Being with Jesus requires intentionality. So that's the first step, I guess, is just to decide. This is, there's nothing more important than this. He called the disciples to this. He's calling me to this. With his help, I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm I'm to spend time with him. And then what do we do during those times? Well, I think one obvious thing is we would read, we read the word, right? If, if Jesus, if he is the word, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If he is the word, if, if he is the living word, if this is his word given to us, then how else, how better can we know him? Can we know his will? Can we know his word than by getting in his word? So we ought to get, get alone, but also we ought to get in his word. And, and then don't just read the Bible to read the Bible. Don't just read it to read it. Because somebody tells you you have to read it or because you have this sort of internal guilt that's telling you every day, okay, yeah, I didn't read it today, i got to read it now. I, I, I missed yesterday, so I have to read today. Don't just read it to read it, but, but read it to, to know Christ, to know the God who created the universe. Read his word to know him, to understand who he is. And if you don't consistently spend time in his word, then, then start small. Don't start out by saying, I'm going to read the New Testament in August. Or, or, don't, say, or don't even say, I'm going to read the Bible in a year. If, if you're not reading the Bible at all, then start small. Start somewhere. Just read it with a desire to know God. 
choose a book of the Bible and then read that book with a desire to know God. Read it to, to, with a desire to know who, who, the, who is he and what does he have for me. To, to reveal to you what he has for your life or for that day. If you're reading through one of the Gospels, read through it and as though Jesus himself is teaching you, as though you're, as though you're, as though you're one of those disciples that's, that's sitting there at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach. Read it, read it in that way. If you're reading one of you know, Paul's sermons, read it as though you're, 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 hearing, from, you're hearing from them. Get, get into the word and, and, and read it. And so read it slowly. Don't, don't rush through it. I think it's, I think it's better to read five or six verses and to really listen and to pay attention and to, and to pray and to understand than it is to read five chapters and get nothing out of it. God doesn't call us to quantity. He calls us to, to know him. So read it. Read it slow. If you're a fast reader, read it slow. Use a study Bible maybe that helps to define some words. Read it with a notebook handy and, and a pen so you can write down things that God shows you. So you can write down questions, things that you don't understand. When you come across something you read and you don't know what that means, then get, then, then get a pen out and write it down. Ask God to show you what it means. This is, a, this is a spiritual book, right? It's a spiritual book. And it's spirit, the things in it are spiritually discerned. The natural man understands not what's in God's word because they're spiritually discerned. So, we, so what does that mean? In, in and of ourselves, we cannot understand it. We need some, someone spiritual. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and to give us understanding, to open the, uh, open the eyes of our mind and help us to know what it says. So we ask, we ask the, the Lord, Lord, show me what this says. I'm reading it, but I just don't understand. Help me to understand what you have for me. Write down questions. Write down what God shows you. And then take those questions that you have written down and, and ask somebody else about them. What do you think this means? I was reading this, and some of you all do this, and, I, and it, it's, great, it's a great practice. Write, write down questions that you have when you read, and then ask somebody. Ask somebody in this room, what does this mean? What do, you, what do you think this means? And sometimes we might not do that because of shame, because we think, well, I'm sure everybody knows what that means. I'm such an idiot. Probably not. Probably not. Ask somebody. And it'll do, it'll do several things if you ask somebody. One thing it'll do is it'll open up a spiritual conversation, which is a good thing because we don't have a whole lot of those sometimes. We talk on the really very shallow level a lot of times about things, right? And so to, to, to talk about spiritual things is healthy. Even if you're saying, well, I was reading this in you know, Colossians, what do you think this means? And they say, man, I don't, I don't know, but that's a great question. That, that, just, that discussion, that's a good discussion that's happening there. So it, it opens up spiritual conversations. It also create spiritual relationships that are not just about that are not just based on sports and kids and family activities but they're actually based on spiritual things relationships that the next time you get together that you can say yeah I've been thinking I got it I got it it also will will prod other people to get in the word right if you if you have a question about something you read and you and you go and you ask your friend, what do you think this means? And they say, I don't know, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to read that. So, so, so now you're inviting other people into, into spiritual activity, into knowing God more. You're giving people an opportunity to, you're, you're putting yourself sort of as a, as a learner, as a disciple of, a, a disciple of somebody else, and, and giving them an opportunity to become a disciple maker. These are healthy things that are, that are supposed to happen 
with God's people, within God's churches. And, but it begins with a desire to know him, to want to be with him. So read the word. Set aside time. Schedule time. Decide we're going to have time. Get in the word. Study it. Not just to finish a book or to finish the Bible, but to, to know God. Come across questions that you don't understand, things you don't understand, and you will. You will. We all do. Every day. Write them down and ask somebody. And then have spiritual conversations. So we read the word, and then, we, and then we, of course, we, we talk to God. We talk to the one that we're, sp- we're spending time with, and we talk to him. Before you read his word, pray. While you're reading his word, pray. After you finish reading his word, pray. God, show me. God, teach me from your word today. God, as I read right now, help me to understand. I just read this thing, and I don't understand it. Could you help me to understand what it says? And then when you finish, there's a lot, God, there's a lot that I just read that I, I don't get. Would you help me to, as I think about this through the day, would you help me to maybe come to some understandings about it? Maybe go back over it the next day. So pray. Pray throughout the day. When you're struggling, Draw, go, go to Jesus. Go to him. Pray. When you're hurting about something, go to him. Pray. When you're afraid of something that life has thrown your way, go to him. Pray. All, these are opportunities where the Lord is saying, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He's calling us to him, to abide in him, to trust in him. Turn to Acts chapter 4. This was when the apostles had been arrested for preaching, for just being good people, for healing a man. And Peter uses the opportunity to preach a bold sermon. Acts chapter 4 and verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked... By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye must be saved. What boldness Peter Priest. He said, you are the ones who crucified the Lord. He's now raised from the dead. And what was the result of this? Look in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were ignorant or unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They knew because they were not educated people. Peter was not an educated man, but yet he talked with with such authority. He spoke with such boldness that wasn't normal. It wasn't natural boldness. And they knew because this uneducated man was speaking with such authority that he had been with Jesus. Don't you want to be a bold witness for Christ? Don't you want to be a bold witness for Christ? Someone who is unashamed to stand before those who would 
who have no taste for God whatsoever and to, and to boldly proclaim Jesus to them, don't, don't you want that? They'd been with Jesus. That was the proof that they had been with Jesus. Don't you want to be a part of things that are beyond your, your own power, that are supernatural things? Be with Jesus. I'm not saying we're going to do miracles and, and heal and, and all of these things, but if we want to be a part of something that only God can do, he, that he can do through us, then we have to first come apart with him and be with him. So we are to, that was the call of Jesus to the disciples, to be with him. And I think that call is for all of us to just be with him. But there's a second application that we can draw from this passage. And, and not only must we be with him before we can minister for him, but I think it also shows us how we ought to minister to others or, or, or with others. You know, none of us are, are Jesus, Right? None of us are calling out apostles. But all of us should be influencing others. All of us should be disciple makers. If you are a child of God, if you are, one of, if you are born again in the family of God, and you yourself are a disciple, you are a learner of Christ, then, then, then you also should be disciple makers. We're not just receiving. We, we, we're filled so that we can give to others. Matthew 28, we're not going to turn there. You probably haven't memorized what we call the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That's the Great Commission. To go out into the world, preach the gospel, baptize those who are saved, and then make disciples. That's what teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, all the things that, that, that God has taught us, we're to teach others. That's disciple making. We are not just learners for the sake of learning. We're not just learners for the sake of getting more information. We're learners so that we can be disciple makers. And Jesus was the supreme disciple maker, the ultimate disciple maker. Maker. He made disciples that would turn the world upside down in just a few short years. How did he do that? He was with the disciples. He didn't, he didn't send them out until he first brought them in. He, he, he called them. He said, come. He taught them. And then he sent them out. Right? He ordained 12, back in Mark 3, 14. He ordained the 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. He's our example. How do we make disciples? If our church is to make disciples, if we, and, and I think we would all would say yes, our church ought to make the disciples. The Great Commission was for our church, is for our church. I think we would all agree with that. And so if we believe that, then we would have to take it the next step forward and say if our church is to make disciples, then the people, the members of the church, are to make disciples. The people that make up Mount Zion Baptist Church are to be disciple makers, because this building, Brother Kuzel said this is a beautiful building. It, it can't make disciples, right? No matter how, how much we clean it and do all the things that, that we do to it to keep it nice, it, it's not going to make disciples. The people, this is not the church. The people are the church. If the church is to make the disciples, then that means the people are to make the disciples. All of us. Who, who, who is accepted? 
None of us. We're all to be disciple makers. Make disciples. We're to be discipled. And we are discipled in a sense by coming to church. Right? When we come in and we when we come in Sunday and, and we sing together and, and, and pastor opens the Bible and he preaches to us, we're, we're listening and we're learning. So in a sense, we're being discipled in that way. But there's something even more than that, and that's, and that's being with the people that we are seeking to make disciples, right? Jesus didn't just sit back and preach sermons to them, didn't just say, okay, guys, disciples, Peter, James, John, you guys... Show up here again Sunday, okay? We're going to do this again in one, in one week. See you here, Sunday at 11 o'clock. See you guys. And he went out and did his own thing. And the next Sunday, okay, guys, I'm glad you made it back. Let's have church, okay? For Here's for an hour, and then I'm gone. See you next day. He didn't do that. He was with them, right? All the time, Jesus was with them. And that's, that is our example, to be with people. If we're to make disciples, it's, it's more than just... It's more than just teaching a lesson. It's, it's showing people how to live. It is studying the Bible with them. There's nothing more important than studying the Bible with people. But it's also showing people how we interact with others around us. How a Christian ought to respond to his husband or his wife or her husband. How we respond to our spouses. That's what I'm trying to say. How, how, it, it, discipleship is teaching how a Christian ought to a Christian uh, uh, dad or mom ought to, ought to love their children, ought to, ought to handle sad news that we receive. How do we, do, how do we do that? Well, we get around people. Discipleship happens in relationships. It's more than just going through a class. It's more than just sitting in a, through a sermon. Now, Jesus did teach his disciples. There's very lengthy sermons, right? The Sermon on the Mount. It's a long sermon. Jesus, Jesus preached that sermon. So he did, he did stand before them or sit before them and teach, but it wasn't just that. He was teaching them all the time. He was with them all the time. He was with them when he, he was teaching them even when he wasn't talking. He was teaching them. He was discipling them in the way he responded to critics that would unjustly criticize him. He was discipling in the way that he would be in, 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 in the midst of a huge crowd and somehow... He would be able to look past the crowd and, 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 and fix his gaze on that one lady who, was, who touched the hem of his garment. He's teach, all, all, all that he does, he's teaching them. When he, when he went to the, the, the well and the Samaritan woman came up to him and the disciples were gone and they said, Whoa, Jesus, what are you doing with her? He, he's teaching them, right? He, everything that he did was a, a lesson to the people that were around him. So the, the, the message is not just that we're to be with Jesus, we're to be with the Lord, although that is it, but it's also as a disciple maker, with, with Jesus as our example, we're to put people around us that we can pour into. Think about this. Jesus spent almost all of his time with these disciples, right? His ministry time was spent in community, almost all of it. Almost exclusively, he was with them. Occasionally, he might send them off to get some food into town, or, but, but mostly all of his time was with them. And, 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 and sometimes it was formally teaching them, but most of the time it was just, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't that. It was just teaching them by how he lived. But there were times, even for Jesus, when he would need to go away. He would need to, to, to leave them to go away from them, to leave the, the, the busyness, to leave the needy people, to, to, to leave those that were hurting, to, to, to leave those that he was discipling and just get away and be refreshed 
with the Father. And so I think tonight we can all find value in both aspects of this idea of being with him. In Mark chapter 3. First, to be intentional about being with the Lord, of, of personally, individually, as his, as, as, as his children of wanting to know our Father, the one that ransomed us, the one that redeemed us, one that called us, being with him, abiding in him, not just trying to work for him or to do for him, but rather to allow him to work in us, to know him more. And then secondly, to be intentional about getting out of our, our bubble or maybe to expanding our bubble and inviting other people into our life with us. Not just me and my family, but let's, let's open it up and, 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 and call out like Jesus did and say, hey guys, why don't you come hang out with me? Why don't you come to me? Hey, hey uh, what, why, why, don't we, why don't we come together? Why don't we spend some time together? Why don't we spend some time studying the word or just going out together and talking about spiritual things? Just as Jesus invited his disciples to be with him, let's commit as this church, as the church, Mount Zion Baptist Church, to begin discipling somebody, find somebody that we can begin pouring into and helping and teaching. Invite them to be in our lives. And I, without even talking to anyone here, I, I can, I think I can say with confidence that there are people here who really believe that you're not at a place spiritually that you could do that. You're not at a place, you get the first part, you're probably maybe thinking to yourself, yeah, I know, I need to spend more time with him, yeah, I need, I need to do this. But I could never, I could never make disciples myself. I could never do that. That's for like the more spiritual people. That's for the pastor, that's for, that's for the, 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 the more, I know as a church we need to do it, but I could never do that. I have no doubt there are people here that, would, that, are, that are thinking that. And I just want to encourage you um, to just believe by faith that if the, if the church is called to do it, then you're called to do it. And if you're a member of this church, then you're called to do it too. And that doesn't mean that you have to have any, you know, a chapter of the, of the Bible memorized. It doesn't, mean the, it doesn't mean that you have to know more than anybody else. It just means that you have to be commit, a committed follower of Christ and you're committed to, to being a learner and to being a disciple yourself, and then you're willing to take somebody along in that journey with you. That's really all it means. To, to, I mean, I'm a follower of Christ. She's wanting to follow Christ, or she's just beginning to follow Christ, and would you come along the journey with me? Can we study the Bible? Can we read together? Can we pray together? Can we ask each other questions? Can we, can we bounce things off of each other? Can we, can we witness together? Can we take our family someplace together and, and, and while we're there talk about spiritual things? This is, this is how discipleship happens. It's not just in a classroom. There's nothing wrong with discipleship happening in the classroom. There's nothing wrong with programs. But discipleship doesn't have to happen in programs. It can happen, it happens in life, in relationships. And everybody can do that. And if you don't believe you can, then tonight confess the lack of faith the lack of belief and trust the Lord to, to, to use you to make a difference in somebody's lives. Begin by drawing to him. Don't do it in your own power. We can't. Don't, don't try to do anything in your own power, but, but draw nigh to him. He'll draw nigh to you. 
and then allow him to, to work through you to make a difference in somebody's lives. And, and if all of us would do that, man, think about the impact. Think about the impact in our church, in our community. Think about the impact. Let's pray. And I hope that you'll think about this. I hope that you'll consider what I've said. I don't think you'll need convincing about the need to abide in him more. I, I don't think you'll need convincing of that because uh, it's, it's just easy to get in our own, just get so filled up with our own selves and our own lives that we neglect the one who gave us life. So tonight, let's, let's decide that we're going to get away with the Lord. And then secondly, by faith, ask God to use you to make a difference in somebody's life, to become a, a disciple maker. You don't have to take the title officially, but just ask God to show you someone, to, to put somebody on your mind that you could bring along on your spiritual journey with you. I'm going to pray. You pray and then the piano will play. If you want to come forward, as always, you can do that. Lord, thank you for your word. This is such a simple thought tonight. And I just am thankful for the example of Christ who was willing to, to give up his life. I mean, his life, was, his life on this earth was all about others. And Lord, I pray that you just give us, help, help us to have just a little bit of that. To, to put our trust in you, our reliance in you, our, you are a power source, you are the nutrients that feeds us. And then, Lord, but not to, not to hoard it, but to just op open up our hands and, and, and be givers, be generous. I pray the Lord tonight you would just uh, do something in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can remain seated, but if you want to come forward, you're welcome to, as always, or just pray at your seat. But let's, let's commit, let's commit to, to the Lord tonight to, to be a disciple-making church.